Hi, and welcome to another episode of 100 Centuries. Uh, I'm Steve. And I'm Connie. And today we're here to talk to you about the Holy Grail. Yep, this is our relaunch episode, and we just went for the big stuff, <laughs> instead of starting small. So, um, well, uh, today we're here actually with a bit of a grail expert. Connie has actually uh, studied a lot about the Holy Grail, and uh, in past life was a medieval uh, literature studies person. <laughs> yes, um, so I was once a medieval studies student in college, and... Um, Far more years ago than I would like to admit, um, I was in class one day and a professor said something that had stuck with me since then, and it always kind of been an interesting little tidbit at parties and eventually inspired this episode. Um, so we were reading these medieval Welsh tales, and at one point in class, she told us to turn to this page and said, did you see this thing on this page? And we all look, and we're looking for something we don't really know what we're looking for. And she says, did you guys realize that you just read about the Holy Grail? Um, and none of us had a clue because it was so far removed from our modern ideas of what a grail should look like. Um, so for this episode, I looked back at the earliest known um, source of the grail legend, as well as that weird grail legend in the Mabinogian. Um, and so we'll talk about these early Grail legends, um, kind of what the Grail means today, and speculate a little bit about the origin of the Grail legend. Yes. So, uh, first thing you need to know, as, as Connie has told me before, is take any of your modern concepts of the Grail, that is, anything from like your Indiana Jones or your Monty Python, and kind of clear it from your head. Okay. Uh, it turns out this ends up being a lot more different uh, than those sorts of ideas. Yes, although it's interesting to look back after you know a little bit about it and see how it developed. Um, so just to give kind of a layman's perspective, Stephen, what's your first picture when you picture the Holy Grail? Good, okay. So when I hear Holy Grail, uh, all joking aside, I do picture, uh, I've always been taught or always understood that it was the uh, one of two things. One was the cup that Christ used at the Last Supper um, when when he um, uh, uh, kind of blessed the apostles and and the whole, if you're Christian and, and know about the, the communion, uh, that wine cup, um, that's one idea of the Holy Grail. The other one I heard was that it was a vessel or cup that Joseph of Arimathea used to catch the blood of Christ um, after the Roman soldiers pierced his side in the uh, during the crucifixion. And I've even heard some sources claim that it's actually the same cup, um, which I thought was kind of weird. But at the same time, I, you know, you that's know, somebody just happened to be carrying it around. And right. And, and they just happened to, you know, have wine glasses ready for catch Jesus blood, I guess. Yeah. That so. Is so odd when you really think about it. Um, so but that is that is the general idea. And, and there's other little things about it, too. Like uh, I know from the Indiana Jones tale uh, movies. The, they always say that it's supposed to grant you eternal life or cure you of diseases or um, not necessarily grant you immortality, but extend your life. And, and that's been a running theme through a lot of Grail stuff that I've read and, and, and heard or seen on TV. Um, and then there's also it's also tied up heavily with the Arthurian legends. Um, and so I remember uh, reading The Once and Future King. Uh, and it's mentioned a little bit in there. 
Um, but it's also mentioned in, in earlier tales and some of the whole court of King Arthur and the round table and the knights and last lot and Galahad and things like that all mention it. Um, and so when I think of the grail, I kind of guess in my head, think it's a magic cup that King Arthur and his knights were searching for. Um, that's the impression I think that modern people get when they hear grail. Yep. And we are going to go back to Arthurian legend. Um, and the two sources, as I mentioned, are um, a tale from the Mabinogian called Pereder, Son of Efrog, um, and also Percival or the Story of the Grail by a French poet called Chrétien de Troyes. Um, to make things simple, as I, when we get, I get to actually tell the two stories, which do tell close together with some differences, so I can tell them at the same time, but I'm going to use the English versions of the names um, just to keep it simple so that you hear, you know, Guinevere and not Guinevere and all the names that most people are going to be familiar with if they're listening to this podcast. Um, I also apologize to any Welsh or French speakers out there if I completely butcher this pronunciation. I'm doing my best. Um, so a little bit about the sources here. Um, Clétien de Troyes' version Percival is the earliest, um, and it comes from the 12th century. We don't know a ton about Chrétien de Troyes as a poet. We know he was a French poet. He, the um, part of his name, de Troyes, means that he came from Troyes, which is a city in Champagne. Um, so that he could have been born there. He could have lived there as a child. He could have just been significant for him. Um, but somehow it was significant. His writings seem to indicate that he may have been part of the clergy and minor orders. Also indicate he may have traveled to England at some point, um, which is where he may have been exposed to the Arthurian legends that he is famous for. Um, because Percival is probably the least, it's weird, it's the least famous of his Arthurian stories. Um, possibly because it is unfinished. It's not a complete poem. Um, and actually, if you go looking for Percival and you look for a collection of Arthurian tales by Chrétien de Troyes, you know, look in the table of contents before you buy the book because most of them do not include Percival. Well, it's, it's very hard to find stories yeah. we discovered recently. Uh, we, uh, thanks to some rare booksellers in Charlottesville, Virginia, we were able to find a copy. Yeah, um... It's also not a short tale, so expect, expect to be reading for a bit. Um, so, other things we know about Chrétien de Troyes, we know he had a number of patrons, um, including Philip of Flanders, um, who is the patron for whom Percival was written, and that's how we can um, date it. And a little bit about the Mabinogian story. Well, the Mabinogian is a group of Welsh tales um, collected from the White Book of Ritter in the early 14th century and the Red Book of Hergest, dating from the late 14th or early 15th century. Um, we don't know who wrote any of these tales. They're anonymous, but it's unlikely that these are the first um, writing down of the tales. These first are, versions. Yeah, it's unlikely that this is where they originated. Now, I, I hate to interrupt here, but... Uh... In, in Welsh stories, was, was it a strong oral tradition that eventually got written down, sort of like Homer's uh, Odyssey or Iliad, or is this more some author sat down or some monk sat down and, and 
wrote it all down. Um, it seems likely that a lot of these were um, oral traditions that probably as poets wrote it down, they embellished and added things. And of course, they could have made it up whole cloth. We don't know. But it seems likely that these are oral traditions. And indeed, as we go through the stories, um, the very fragmented nature of the story of Percival in both versions seems to indicate that it's a series of, of previous traditions that have been built upon and built upon over the years. Okay. So, ready for the story of Percival slash Peredia? I am ready. I've been waiting to hear about this All one right. for a while. <laughs> All right, so um, it begins when he's a young man in Wales. And to set up the story, the reader learns that his father and brothers died in battle when he was just a child. And his grief-stricken mother decides to raise uh, Percival alone in the woods and never let him know about knighthood and never let him know about combat um, or anything like that because she doesn't want to lose another member of her family to battle. Indeed, he remains largely ignorant of the outside world completely. He just doesn't know a whole lot about what's outside his little farm in the backwoods in Wales. Um, now, one day, he spots some knights in the woods and they ask him if he's seen another knight come by that way. Well, Percival has never seen a knight before, and he mistakes them for angels at first. Um, and eventually he does realize that they are not angels, but he doesn't quite know what they are. And he asks them a bunch of questions before finally answering theirs. So he's like, what's this, what, what, what's this thing that you're wearing on your head? Well, it's a helmet. You know, what's this thing on your body? It's all shiny. It's armor. Um, so he, he really demonstrates his ignorance early in the story. And though this might seem very unconnected to the Grail, it does actually come back to um, some of the central ideas and themes. Anyway, after he meets with the knights, well, he's instantly decides, these people are awesome, I want to be one. And fortunately, one of the knights had told him that he had come from King Arthur's court. Um, and King Arthur had made him a knight. So he decides that's what he's going to do. And when he tells his mom, his mom's really upset. She really doesn't want him to go. But he doesn't really seem to be um, very conscious of his mother's feelings. He's, he's just so excited. And he's running around the house. And he basically, like, scrounges up whatever he could find to kind of make himself some mock armor. And he grabs some spears. They were the only weapons he has. And he gets this mangy old horse. And he's going to set out. Um, before he goes... His mother does give him some parting advice because clearly he's going to go whether she wants to, she wants him to or not. So she tells him to make sure he always has food and water, even if he has to take it and nobody gives it to him. And she says he may kiss a lady, but don't do anything more. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, watching out for him. <clears throat> and that if the lady wants to give him a ring or a token, he can take it. Um, she also tells him to stop and always pray in churches and to pay court to ladies, even when they don't really like him. So even when they're spurning him, he should continue wooing them. Um, interesting. Interesting advice. So with that advice, he sets out. And as he's going, his mother falls into a faint at seeing him leave. But he just keeps on going. He doesn't care. 
along the way to court, he does try to follow his mom's advice. And he's going through the woods, and he happens upon a big, beautiful tent. And he's never seen anything like this tent before. And he thinks, well, this is so grand, it must be a church. So he goes inside, he gets off his horse, goes inside to pray in the church. But, of course, it's not a church. And inside, there is a maiden sitting there. And, again, he's trying to follow his advice. Um, He gets in some trouble here. Now, in both versions of the tale, Percival is really ignorant. Um, So here's it. But as an aside here, in... In, per- in Chrétien de Troyes' Percival, he seems particularly stupid. And furthermore, people attribute that stupidity to him being Welsh. <laughs> they say, well, he's just a dumb Welshman. Well. Um, this basic, I, I'm, I'm not trying to insult Welsh people here. That is what they say in the story. Um, obviously, the Welsh version does not, does not have that same anti-Welsh bias. As a uh, as a proud descendant of some Welshmen, uh, I could I could say right now that uh, uh, we we are not as stupid as <laughs> Percival. But uh, anyway, do continue, Carl. Yeah, yes, most Welshmen are nice and educated, and probably would recognize a knight if they saw one. So anyway, once he's in there, you know, being ignorant if not stupid. He asked, he, um, he sees the maiden, and in Chrétien de Troyes Percival, the, the attitude is quite different from in the Mabinogian. In Percival, the maiden is kind of, is startled, and she, she seems to be a bit frightened. He takes her food and drink, really, anyway, even though she's not really pleased with him being there. And he kisses her against her will. Ending the the encounter by finding seeing her fancy ring and taking that too, and all the while she is just going, "Please leave me alone! Please leave me alone! My lover is coming back any minute. He's going to be so mad. Just go." And as he leaves, she he asks for her blessing, and she curses him. In Paradir, the the story's a bit different. The maiden doesn't you can't really get a good sense of her emotion there's really not a lot of outward emotion going on here and so you're you're left to to feel like this this was my interpretation um of the literature that either she's surprised but welcoming or just kind of indifferent Hmm. um percival asks for the food and drink and she freely gives it to him and he also asks for the ring she gives it to him you know, none, there's none of this being taken. Interesting. Um, however, in both stories, the lover returns and reacts exactly the same. He's furious that Percival's been here and he took the, the ring and he took the food and he won't believe the maiden's story that nothing more happened. Mm. Um, so he, he really takes it out on her and tells her she will never spend two nights in the same place until he has found Percival and fought him. Interesting. So he's already made an enemy, and he hasn't even gotten to Arthur yet. No. Meanwhile, (sighs) he gets to Arthur. All right. And as he's getting there and going into court, there is a rude knight who is really unhappy with Arthur, and he spills wine on Guinevere, 
on purpose and runs off with a golden chalice and says, dares anybody to come and challenge him. But Percival really seems kind of oblivious to this scene happening. He just won't be distracted. He runs in there and everybody's upset and he's still going, make me a knight, Arthur. Which one is Arthur? Make me a knight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The exchanges kind of vary, but Arthur seems to be willing to make him a knight. Even though he is, it's it's clear to everyone at court that he's really ignorant and and not even close to trained. Um, so, in both versions of the tale during this exchange, somebody at court um, declares that Percival will become the best knight ever, and Kay responds by Sir Kay responds by striking that person. I see. Um, and then. Every, Percival decides once he's been made a knight, he wants armor. So Kay says, well, I know where you can get some armor. Remember that guy who ran off with a cup? You just have to go defeat him and take his armor. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone at court's like, oh, Kay, geez, you're tending off this untrained boy. You're so mean. And, but Percival takes him at his word and he runs off. (laughs) Of course he would. Um... In both versions of the tale, somebody at court becomes concerned about Percival after a while and decides to go and check on him. But when they find Percival, he's already killed the knight. Really? Yes. That's impressive. He has killed the knight in a joust, and he's trying to remove the armor, but he can't get it off. <laughs> um, so, so the person from the court you know, helps him take it off and shows him how to put it on. And Percival gives him the chalice and tells him, take it back to Guinevere and to tell Kay that he will have vengeance for the people that he injured. But he doesn't go back. He goes off to have many more adventures. And the order of events do kind of vary between the tales. And a lot of them don't have a ton of bearing on the Grail episode, which is part of the reason why it seems like these are, you know, oral tales or different tales that were strung together over time. Um, but a, here's a broad overview of what he gets up to. He meets various mentors. He gets experience um, and learns a little bit about, you know, how to put on your armor, how to fight with a sword. Um, and he gets a, um, different advice from the mentors, particularly the advice in Chrétien Trois Percival. He's told not to talk too much. So that he won't say something that's amiss. Right. That if you talk too much, you're eventually going to put your foot in your mouth. Which seems like he's done. <laughs> yeah, it seems like he's, he's apt to do. Yeah. Um, in um, the Mabinogian's Peredir, he's told by his mentor, if you see anything weird and nobody explains it to you, don't ask questions about it right then. Because people will think that I did a bad job mentoring you. Interesting. Yep, that's what he tells him. So he goes off and he rescues people and he falls in love with one damsel after another. As soon as he has pledged his love to one damsel, he's he's pretty inconstant there. Um, And he defeats a lot of knights, always sending them back to Arthur's court with the message to Kay, reminding him that vengeance is coming. Um... So he jousts, and eventually he does take vengeance on Kay, and he knocks Kay off of his horse, and 
Kay is shamed. Um, and he resolves the conflict with the knight from the tent, who was so mean to his girlfriend. And at a point, and this point differs between the stories, Percival suddenly becomes concerned about his mother, since he, she did kind of faint when he was leaving. Maybe he should go check on her. <laughs> How many years have passed at this point? At a minimum, it's a few days before he realizes that he should probably check on her. Interesting. Um, at, at, a, at a maximum, it could be a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. Interesting. <laughs> but he does eventually get a conscience and start to be concerned about her and try to find his way back and he doesn't even know how to find his way back. <laughs> oh, that's precious. Um, so, eventually, as he's looking for her, he meets another character who tells him that she died. Oh. And she died because of the shock at him leaving. It's his fault. <laughs> <sighs> um, but throughout all of this, at different points in the different versions is woven the story of the Grail. And so here's the part we're all wanting to hear. At some point at his journey, he comes to the castle of the Fisher King. Um, and he's called the Fisher King because in um, Chrétien de Troyes Percival, um, Percival first sees him in a boat fishing. He, he's really old and sick, and apparently that's the only kind of leisure sport that he can enjoy because he can just lay back in a boat and fish. And he doesn't have to be on a horse or he doesn't have to be active. Um, in both versions, he the Fisher King is old and sick. Mm. And Percival is invited to stay at his castle for the night. And they're sitting down to supper. And a strange procession of objects are brought through the hall. Um, one of them is a lance that is continually dripping blood. And the other is a serving dish. Um, in Peredir, the lance and the platter pass through the hall and people are weeping and wailing, except for the Fisher King, who keeps right on talking. Also, crucially, in Peredir, the serving dish is described more as this platter, and on the platter is a severed head in a pool of blood. You know, lovely... Dinner decoration. Right. In Percival, it, it's called a grail, which just means vessel. Um, and it it has some interesting properties. It seems to bring light into the hall. Um, so as it comes through the hall, it seems to make the candles appear dim as it passes. And Percival doesn't see who is served from that grail the mysterious grail of light, and it seems to cause him a lot of um, confusion or anxiety. He wants to know who was, who is eating from this mysterious grail. Um, but in both cases, Percival doesn't ask about these things. He doesn't ask because in Percival, he was told, you know, don't talk too much. And in Peredir, he was told explicitly not to ask about weird stuff. <laughs> so he, he doesn't. Um... Well, it turns out that's a huge mistake. Um, later down the road, other characters tell him if he'd only asked the Fisher King about these mysterious things, um, and this is true for both tales, the Fisher King would have been restored to health and prosperity would have reigned in the land. It, 
everything would have been good if he had just ignored that advice. I see. Um, Strange. Yep. So he's he's punished for for that advice. Um, so he decides he needs to learn to try and write this wrong. He needs to learn the meaning of these weird things. Um, furthermore, it gets it gets weirder. You you think like, well, he was given advice and he followed it. Why should he be punished? Well, later characters inform him he made this mistake because of a previous sin. That it was sin that stopped his tongue. The sin of leaving his mother to be shocked <laughs> and die. Yes. And it comes full it comes circle. Full circle. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> Always like how these these ancient tales or these old tales, how you know the seemingly random randomness of things comes back and to, to haunt the the, the hero. Um, yeah. And, and and what is considered to be a sin when it seems inconsequential. You know, to the story. But, uh, no, keep going. Sorry. Okay. Well, he eventually does learn the meaning of the weird stuff of the Grail and the Lance. Um, but that meaning is as different between the two tales as the, the Grail itself. Hmm. Um, in Percival, um, so, actually, let me, um, back up a little bit before we talk about what two meanings there there's a lot of other adventures that happen of like finding the grail um in case you you do go back and read this and for a while it it actually follows gawain (laughs) who is oh gawain the uh, green knight yes he gets involved and then we forget all about that this was supposed to be percival's story um they mentioned his (laughs) his story about uh his his Battle with the Green Knight and the whole... No, no, no. That doesn't fig- figure in. This is a different ah. Gawain story. Okay. Um, he killed somebody's dad and they were mad about that. <laughs> and then he has to atone for it. Then they... they anyway. Um, eventually, Percival in Chrétien de Troyes, Percival learns that it is the Fisher King's father who is being served from the Grail. Um, and that the Grail contains the host... The host. Yes. As in the body of Christ. That it just says the host. Interesting. It says the host as Very in the body of Christ. Huh. <laughs> um That is that is that is that makes it a, a much different yeah. tale in my mind now. Okay. Keep going, sorry. So <laughs> um the, apparently the, the the Fisher King's father lives off of the Grail alone. Um so uh, that can kind of tie back to some of our later interpretations. That does. And also where tales the, the, the grail extends in. your life. Yep. It also ties in very heavily to uh, uh, those of you who are uh, Christian, specifically Catholic, will know what I'm talking about with uh, you know, eating the host and, and gaining eternal life from that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very powerful imagery. Um, so, interesting. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> it's Disney host does light. It, it sustains the king's father. Um, now, Percival is an unfinished tale, as I said. It stops actually mid-sentence. Um, we don't know why Chrétien de Troyes stopped. Maybe because Philip of Flanders died. Maybe because the poet died himself. Um, but for whatever reason, he stops. Uh, but other poets have pick, kind of picked up the mantle and wrote continuations over the years. Um... One of those continuations, um, the one by Manessier, 
the lance is revealed to be the one that pierced Christ's side, and the grail the cup that caught his blood. Um, the final continuation of Percival that we have stresses the notions of chastity and purity, which does become even more important in later grail stories. Right. Um, as far as what knights are you know, judged worthy to actually have a full view of the grail. Um, uh, for example, in, in later stories... Tale of Sir Galahad or Sir no, Galahad could have a full view. Right. I believe Percival also could have a full view. Lancelot, Lancelot could, could not, not because, because he and the adultery and, 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 and Guinevere. With, with Guinevere. Yes. Yes. Uh. Um. So even um, going back to these early stories, um, later works, um, notably the work of Robert de Boron elaborate on the religious nature of the grail and Robert de Boron is the one who first writes about Joseph of Arimathea taking the grail north and it traveling to Glastonbury um, which makes no sense yes, it makes no sense why it would go but, to Glastonbury yeah. but who, who am I to judge? we needed to go there <laughs> so that it could get involved with Arthur's court right right um, it's like that uh, that church hymn uh, those ancient feet of whatever the oh. walk of England's green Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jerusalem, you mean? Yeah. That's, that that's the hymn you're talking about. Yes. Just, did, did those be in ancient times? times yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the answer is no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes a nice hymn. Um, it makes right. a good, good story legend. It makes a good legend. So, in the Welsh Peredur version of the story, Percival learns that the head on the dish is the head of his cousin. Um, and that the, the king, he had already learned that the king, the, the fisher king that he went to see was his, his uncle. Um, and that the cousin was slain by the witches of Gloucester. And the witches are the ones that, that hurt the king. So he now he, he has to avenge his cousin's death. Um, to set things right. Fortunately, earlier in the story, he happened to train with those witches. So he already knows all about how to fit them. And, and he comes are. back, and they're all freaking out. Oh no, he's back. He knows who we are. He, he's gonna kill us. And so he kills them. ta Two bad witches. Yep. Um, witches get stitches. So yeah, so there's two very, very different. One explicitly religious in nature. And, and one with a strong vengeance theme. Right. Um, so, as I said before, Pereder is the outlier. Virtually all Grail stories that come after this elaborate on the themes that um, Chrétien de Troyes included. included. They elaborate on the Christian themes. Right. Which makes sense. But, yeah, no, it's, it's fascinating. So. No. Um, so... There's, you know, been some theories. Maybe there's a common origin for the two tales, that you know, one was Celtic in origin, and that Cretien was the first to combine these two stories, um, that were once separate. It does seem like all bits of these stories were once separate stories. Yes. They don't really tie together the story of somebody, um, yeah. you know, the you know the the dumb knight who becomes smart. Um, exactly. It, and in it's fact, very different. You telling me the story makes me almost think that <clears throat> the Christian elements were added at a later date to to bring that story, uh, what seems like a traditional Celtic story, into 
into a modern, or at that time, modern Christian setting, um, which has certainly been the case with a lot of stories um, that you encounter. Yeah, that is, that is quite possible. And one of the Celtic source, the most popular Celtic source theory um, that that comes up in the um, in the criticism of the literature is the motif of cauldrons that continuously produce food in in Celtic folklore. Hmm. Like cornucopia. Um, I guess is cornucopia continually produces food. But yeah. anyway, there's there's lots of Celtic stories about a cauldron that will produce food or even produce things. Hmm. Um, and so the idea that the Fisher King could live off the grail alone, it that it's that same sort of cauldron that continually produces continually. a thing to keep him alive. Right. Um, you know, at the same time, it, it it feels like a very Christian story. It feels like a story about um, communion. It does. It looks like a story about communion. It's it, 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 a grill. It holds a host. Um, so. Now, I have a question, and maybe you could answer this, maybe you can't. Why does it seem that both or the main version of this tale, why does it seem to come from France when it's a, a Welsh tale, <laughs> it seems, in origin, ultimately? Um, this is a good question. King Arthur is Welsh in origin. Right. That is indisputable. Um, the earliest known mentions of a King Arthur are Welsh. Um, all of the place names and the, uh, everything... It, it, it's a Welsh story that's been picked up and elaborated on by different people. Right. Um, the question is, was this actually oh. a Welsh story that came to France? Or was this a French story that Arthur Arthurian legends have been laid over upon? Hmm. Interesting. Because Arthurian legends were popular and so that they could reinterpret it. Um, did Cretan de Troyes make it all up? Um... That's still entirely possible. We just wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, we wouldn't know that unless we find an earlier Welsh version of the tale. Or, or an earlier, earlier French, French version. version <laughs> or an earlier anything version. Right. Um, mm. so. As far as we can guess, you know, the story may have, you know, taken elements of Welsh culture from the, um, you know, Arthurian story taken to France, become, you know, Frenchified, gone back to Wales, and become re-Welshed in Peredir. <coughs> um. Interesting. Now, um, you know, just kind of out of curiosity, is this a story that is uh, written in French or Welsh, or is this uh, a Latin story, basically? What language do they write it in? Because that would be very telling about... About its um, origins. Chrétien de Troyes wrote in Old French. Old French. And then Mabinogan was obviously Middle Welsh. Middle Welsh. Interesting. Okay. Because um, I think that's... That in itself could be telling about the origin of the story, because, you know, if it was well, something... Well, he wrote... It seems like everything in Old French. Old French. Um, okay. Interesting. <clears throat> yep. Yep. So... We, we just don't know, don't know where it came from. Um, but you looking at those roots, it's kind of interesting to trace it down to the idea that, you know, Indiana Jones' father can drink from the grill <laughs> and, and uh, survive 
was he shot? He was shot. Yeah, Sean Connery in in the film Um, was shot, and um, or Henry Jones Senior was shot. Yes, and uh, uh, it was the the power of the the Grail, the cup of the carpenter specifically, (laughs) which I thought was interesting that that was somehow identifiable. Amongst all those things, uh, uh, as a class of student and a uh, and a you know once an There's archaeologist by trade, there is hilariously things Especially wrong. Especially the story. scene, the scene where he he looks at like the stone tablet and In he the goes, very oh, "Oh, 12th century early, early Latin, Latin text. text. Oh my God, right. ice palm." Yes, uh, you know, the 12th century. If it was in Latin in the 12th century, it'd be a late Latin text. It'd be one of the last Latin texts ever written um i mean well <laughs> it it would be a medieval latin text uh, content- very much so I mean, people are still writing latin texts technically but. yes but i mean as far as the the, the evolution of the language mm-hmm. it would be you know about as far removed from <laughs> yeah it would not be early, <laughs> early latin, latin text. text early latin texts mm-hmm. are from about 600 bce and Share a lot of things with us of uh, with uh, Etruscan and um, Oscan and things like that. Mm-hmm. They're very hard to read. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Anyway, fun diversion. <laughs> um, so that's the Grail. That is the what Grail does story. it mean to you? Yeah, good. That's a very good good question. Now, um, yeah, as an aside here, I have always heard. Or read that the Monty Python uh, Holy Grail movie was actually, well, obviously silly in many ways and, and absolutely mm. hilarious. And I suggest if you haven't seen it, uh, what oh, rock oh, are you living it. under? <laughs> um, but uh, that even though with, with these hilarious and silliness in it, that's actually quite on point as far as a Grail story is concerned. Uh, it is a wonderful parody of the Mort Arthur. Interesting. So. And the girl stories that appear in that particular text. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, anyway. Well, that is the story of the grail, That apparently. is the story of the grail. <laughs> I can't tell you what the grail is because there probably isn't a real grail. Yeah. Sorry. No, I will, I will the agree with you. The grail is in your heart, yes. along with the severed head. <laughs> <laughs> of Percival's cousin. I will say this. Uh... The, the cup Christ would have used at the Last Supper is probably long gone. And mm. uh, it certainly would not carry with it magical, mystical, immortality properties. It seems to be very unchristian, actually, which is kind of funny yeah. when it comes down to it. Um, but anyway. Yes. Uh, so that is the story of the Grail, everyone. That is the story of the Grail. So when people, when you see something weird, maybe rethink the advice you were given. Yes. Um, uh, it never hurts to ask. Yes. <laughs> There's no dumb questions. Uh, that's the meaning that of the That is grill. really the that's meaning of the, the, the question. The there are no dumb questions, just dumb people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Possible uh, is one of them. So, anyway. Uh, so, next episode, we'll do more. And uh, next time, I will probably be the one talking and, and giving the history of yes. something. Um, yet to be determined. But uh, uh, for now, everyone have a good week or whatever. And uh, we will see you next time. See you next time.